I'll be reading from Psalm chapter 96, verses 4 through 9. Psalm 96, 4 through 9, and that's going to be in the New King James Version. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. It's good to be with, it's good for everybody to be with everybody this morning. It's always an exciting time to come together to worship God. It's an exciting time to come together and be with our brothers and sisters. Uh, and it's an exciting time to, to let God know how much we love him and how amazed we are by him. I'm going to ask the teens if they know some of these words. I'm sure you know some of them. But ways to say amazed or amazing. You see the title, I stand in awe. And for a while we used to be, you know, if something was great, we would say that's awesome. And I don't hear that much anymore by young people, but I do hear some other things. But I want, I want to know if uh, y'all know the word prodigious. Have you ever heard that? Yes, you can say. You, I, won't, I won't call you out. Well, what if, if something is prodigious, then we understand that it causes amazement. It causes awe. It causes wonder. What about jaw-dropping? Have you ever heard that? Yes, jaw-dropping. How about this? Slack-jawed. Yes? Nolan's saying yes to everything. Good. And I believe him. I do believe him. Slack-jawed. Now, some people might think, well, that, that means that someone who is just kind of not so bright like a yokel. But that's one way to define it. But I'm thinking of the idea of your jaw has dropped, your jaw has gone slack. You may know, dumbfounded, which means that you have been found to be dumb. You can't speak at the moment because you are so amazed. How about this? Okay, so Nolan's saying, yeah, gobsmacked. If your gob is a man, Amy loves gob stoppers, the, uh, jaw breakers. Um, and so if, if your gob is your mouth and you've been hit in the mouth and you are so speechless because you are in awe and then flabbergasted, I'm sure, yes, okay, Nolan um, is the dictionary today. And so I appreciate you knowing that and I appreciate me not knowing gobsmacked until I found it. But the idea of being awe in awe, the idea of being taken aback, the idea of being uh, amazed at God is one that we need to understand, that we have to be, that we need to be. We need to be awestruck. We read in, in Psalm 65, Though they who dwell in the ends of the earth stand in awe at your signs. When they see you and see what you've done, they will stand in awe in Psalm 33, 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Just be amazed by God as we contemplate him. Why would we worship God? Why would we give our lives, ourselves, our minds, our hearts and worship to God? We do it because we're amazed by him. We do it because we are in awe of him. You know, we're not going to worship things, thankfully. We're not going to worship stuff. Rock stars, movie stars, thankfully, we're not going to worship each other because we know that we are not 
deserving of that kind of being awestruck by those things. But I am awestruck by God and we all need to be. Why should we be awestruck? Well, why should we get into the state of standing totally in awe of God? What would make us? What could we contemplate to get to that point where we are just amazed, flabbergasted, awestruck, slack-jawed? What would get us to that state? Well, we're going to talk about some things this morning. Some things that are awe-inspiring about God. And we ought to be compelled as we contemplate things, these things to be able to stand in awe of Him. And so as we contemplate the power of God, the power of God, if you would go over to the 139th Psalm, please. The 139th Psalm. This is a picture of a Soviet Tu-95 bomber. On October 30th, 1961, this bomber, a bomber like this, took off from an airfield in Russia. It carried an enormous bomb beneath it, a bomb so big it couldn't get into, into the bomb compartment, into the bomb bay. This bomb was huge, and it was known as the Tsar Bomb. That plane dropped it at 11.32 in October, dropped it, and, and, it, and that plane was painted white, so when, it, when the bomb exploded, it wouldn't be burned up. This was an atomic bomb. This was a, this was a bomb that would destroy... Hundreds of miles worth of land. The bomb created, when the bomb finally went off, it created a fireball. It pulsed up from the force. It could be seen 630 miles away. You think about that. 630 miles. When the bomb went off, the mushroom cloud soared up 40 miles in the air. Its cap spread outward until it stretched 63 miles. Now the energy and what, what they were trying to do was let the world know that yes, we have, the, we have atomic bombs and yes, we dropped them, America dropped them on other countries to show their power. Russia was, their goal was to show that they are the most powerful country and so they wanted to create a bomb that would unleash unbelievable energy. 57 megatons, 57 million tons of tea. Hiroshima, Nagasaki, World War II. U.S. dropped those bombs. This bomb that went off 1,500 times the strength. Ten times more powerful than every explosion, every bomb that was let off during World War II. And from a distance... From a distance, it must have been an awe-inspiring thing to watch. The most powerful thing that man has created to watch it explode and watch it destroy and watch it, watch it go up in the sky and out from the bottom, that must have been an awe-inspiring sight. I cannot fathom the power that was in that bomb. And they decided not to use it. Because it was so powerful. 
I can't fathom the power. But when we think about God, we can't fathom His power, but we've got to try. We've got to try. Mark 10, 27, all things are possible with God. Jesus explains that to His his followers. God creates. He determines what is possible. He, he, He spoke. He said, let it be, and the galaxies became. The galaxies came into it. He spoke the universe into existence. Let there be instantly there was. Out of nothing galaxies. Out of nothing creation. So we look at creation and we're amazed. We're taken aback. We're flabbergasted. And we give God the credit for that. It took incredible wisdom to make the incredible beauty. The beauty and the magnificence and the intricate detail. Not just of nature but of human bodies as well. The wisdom. And so I had you turn to the 139th Psalm. Let's look at 13 and 14, and then we'll go to another Psalm. But 13 and 14. For you formed my inward parts. You formed these inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb, and I will praise you, for I am fearfully, I am wonderfully made. Marvelous at your, are your works, and that my soul knows, that, that my soul knows very well. Contemplate us, ourselves, from within. How we're made and how what we do and how we get along. And the, the, the amazing body that God created long before, long before we come out into the world. Go over to the 145th Psalm. 145th Psalm. And look at verses 1 through 3. I will extol you. I will worship you. I will lift you up, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. But you've got to search. You can't understand it, but you've got to try. Because you can celebrate it. And you can be amazed at it. And you can stand in awe. Of the power of God. You can stand in awe of the power of God. We had the scripture reading a few moments ago. We'll look at this in a few moments as well again. But I want you to remember the words from the 96th Psalm. Give to the Lord the glory due His name. Give it to Him. Offer it to Him. Bring an offering. Come into His courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before Him. Who? All the earth. Who? Us. We stand in awe at the power of God. We stand in awe at the perfection of God. Let's go over to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. The perfection of God. The diamond you're looking at on the screen is is believed to be the most expensive diamond it is called it is referred to as a large d flawless round diamond 102 carat it's larger than a quarter it's considered the world's rarest white diamond ever to be sold flawless flawless you know what flawless means as far as diamonds are concerned that it's perfect looking 
It's perfect looking. There, there, there are no internal or external blemishes, even when viewed under a microscope. But we know that it is not flawless. There is nothing flawless except God Himself. Nothing flawless because God is flawless in every way. God is flawless in every way. We stand in awe at the perfection. You know, Isaiah thought, when we go over to Isaiah 6, Isaiah thought that he was a good, godly man. He thought that he was, that he was a good spiritual man. He thought that he was all that, or he seemed to, until he encounters in verse 1 of Isaiah 6, in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And then the next verses describe the scene that he is seeing. And he encounters God, and he encounters perfection. And he realizes at that point that, well, look at, look at verse 5. I cried, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I have seen perfection. And I know without a doubt when I see perfection that I am not perfect. Because when we see perfection, we see imperfection. But we have a God who is perfect, who is flawless. The way that they present diamonds usually, if you think about it in a jewelry store, they put the diamond on a black or a dark blue background. Why? To highlight the diamond. Is the blue or black background flawless? Is it spectacular? Not at all, but that's the point. And Isaiah realized, I am the background. I, I, I am nothing because he is the jewel. He is, he is the treasure. He's absolutely perfect. He's absolutely pure. He doesn't do wrong. There's no sin in him. There was no sin in his son. It's impossible to, for him to be tempted. 1 John 4, 8, he is love. He is perfect love. He is true in every way. John 1, 5, 1 John 1, 5, God is light and him is no darkness at all. He is light. He is perfect. He is flawless. He is a jewel. He is bright. It's impossible for him to lie, we read. He defines truth. He defines righteousness. He defines life itself. He doesn't make mistakes. He, he has, he's not confined by time. He's all-powerful, and none of his promises have ever failed. Can we not contemplate that? And, and Can we contemplate that and not worship God, his perfection, his power? Can we think about that and not stand in awe, amazed, flabbergasted? Can we think about the patience of God and not get excited? Go over to 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9. The patience of God. I don't know if anyone's ever had the pleasure of being in China and visiting the Great Wall, the Great Wall of China. I was looking for the, the, the top... Buildings 
or projects that took the longest time. And the Great Wall of China rises up above everything else as far as the time that it took to build it. It took over 2,000 years. Started in the 4th century. Finished in 1600. Several different, four different at least, Chinese dynasties were in charge of this wall. Men and women over the centuries worked on it. 40, 4,100 miles long. Guarded by over, it runs across China's border, guarded by over one million soldiers taking care of it. Historians estimate that around two to three million men died during its construction. What does it take to build that kind of structure? Obviously, it takes raw materials. Obviously, it takes manpower. Obviously, it takes, it takes money, currency. Whatever you, whatever you need is what it takes. But mainly, something like that, something like other castles and, and church buildings, cathedrals that have been, it takes patience. To build something like that takes patience. And as God works on us, there's going to be a limit to our patience. We're humans. We will come to the end of our, end of our rope, end of, to our wit's end, but God won't. There is no limitation on the patience of God if we are trying. God is the most patient. Think about this, the, the long-suffering, what he puts up with. He puts up with our feeble way of thinking, our selfishness, our failings. He puts up with, with us. He cares for us nonstop. He takes care of us nonstop. He provides for us. He is everywhere in creation nonstop. He sees us and he loves us and he transforms us. And even then, people turn their backs on him. Even when we contemplate that attribute of God, his patience, people turn their backs on him. They go their separate way. They ignore him for what he is. You know, people will use God's name in vain and profanity. Ignore the sacrifices of his son. If we were in charge of us, if we were in charge of taking care of all of each other and, and we were offering things to each other and, and we were turning our backs away from, from people, if we were in charge of making sure that, that, that people felt loved, people felt accepted, if we were in charge at, for all time, we would fail. We would, for different people in different situations at different times, lose our patience. We look at the history of man. We would have been frustrated a long time ago. It's amazing that God didn't utterly destroy the world, but he didn't. He said he, he, said he would, and then he was convinced otherwise. But he didn't do it because he loves us, because he's patient with us. Matthew 17, 17. Jesus is talking to his own disciples. They're not understanding. And he says, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? How long will I put up with you? Your translation might have. Then we go to 2 Peter. And I'll let you get there. 2 Peter 3. 
8 and 9. We think about patience and we think about time and we think about how long will God put up with this. But then we read things like 1 Peter, 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. And we read things like this and we try to understand, but we realize we can't. But beloved, not eight, beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. And the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us. Not willing what? That any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Again, I point out what Jesus said. How long shall I put up with you? Look at 15 of verse of 2 Peter 3. And count, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Think about the patience of God. If he weren't patient, we wouldn't go to heaven. If he weren't patient, we would get what we deserve. If he weren't patient, we would for eternity be be suffer for eternity. If he weren't patient, he is our salvation, his long suffering. How can we not serve such a God with all our heart? And finally, we're going to look at the proportion of God's love. We contemplate the proportion of his love. How far does it go? How far will it not go? When does it stop? Well, it doesn't. These pictures were taken by Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. They're spacecrafts. They have gone further than we even imagine going out in space. They were launched in 1977 and they're still going over 40 years later. They're going out. They have passed through the solar winds. They have passed through our solar system and they're still transmitting information. 1977. They are farther than anyone expected. 13 billion miles from Earth. 13 billion miles over 40-something years. We can't fathom how far that is. Past the solar system. They believe that it's going to last, that it's going to hold out until 2026. And it'll be even further then, farther out. Just can't fathom that. We can contemplate it. 13 billion miles? You think about God's love. It never stops. It will go on and on. We don't know how far those spacecraft will, will go. Once, even when they die, they'll continue to move. But God's love is infinite. God's love will not stop. God's love will go on forever. There will be no, there are no limitations. But you think about this. Why would he notice us? Let's go over to the eighth Psalm. Why would he notice us? Why would he take note of us? Why would he look down on us and want the best for us? And Psalm 8, 3 and 4, when I consider your heaven. We've already talked about that. When I consider the work of your fingers, we've already talked about that. The moon, the stars, which you, were, you or have ordained. And I think about those things and I praise you and I stand in awe. And then I wonder, what is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. I contemplate you and I stand in awe and I see your power and your glory and what you can do. And then I wonder why. Me? Why would you care? Why would you care? The 144th Psalm, verse 3. Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him? What is man or the son of man that you're mindful of him? 
Why is he concerned with me? Why does he notice me? Who am I anyway? But he does notice me, and he made, he, he made a sacrifice, as John mentioned in his prayer earlier, a sacrifice so that we can get to heaven. We're going to go to Romans chapter 5 for a few verses, and, and we're getting ready to wrap it up. Thinking about giving up a life, thinking about making a sacrifice, because he deems us important, Romans chapter 5. And we look first at 5. 7 through 8, for scarcely for a righteous man will come, will one die, yet perhaps a good man, someone will even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. How far does God's love go? Well, it goes to the end of his son's life and beyond. And beyond. We have scriptures like Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? We can't separate ourselves because we can't make him stop loving us. He, we can't make him. And finally, along this subject, John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Here's how much he loves us, that we should be called children of his. No one decides to take a child. No one looks at a child and thinks, I hate them, and so I want them in my life. I hate them, and so I'm going to take them and be happy. I hate them, but God us and he wants us with him and so he does what he, he provides a way for us to get to him he sends his son he offers a new covenant a new promise a new set of agreements and we're transformed how can we not serve a god with all our heart who loves us with all his heart how can we not the power of god and the perfection of god and the patience of god and the proportion of god's love read this one Barstaya for? That's a question. How do you answer that? When, when we lived in Holland and I was taking Dutch classes, the, the, our teacher spent a whole class talking about this idea. Barstaya for? What it, what it means is, what do you stand for? And what she meant was, what do you hold dear? What defines you? Because a young person, according to her, young people in Holland, as they, as they start getting to, into their teens, they're encouraged to take on their identity based on what they stand for. And then you've got to be able to present as, you're, as you get older, present your stance on what you stand for. Why do you stand for it? And try to convince other people to stand for it as well. But you answer that question this morning. What do you stand for? Hopefully you stand in awe of God. Hopefully you're willing to worship Him because you stand up for Him and you, be, you stand up because of Him. Hopefully you think about what God is and how He is and what He's done and what He can do and you stand in awe. Try to grasp and comprehend the nature of God and you will stand in awe. You contemplate what he's done for us and what he's doing and what he will do and you will stand in awe. And what should our response be when we contemplate and when we try to understand the very concept of a God who loves us, puts up with us, is all powerful and who, who is patient toward us. We will stand and we will stand in awe. And we will give to the Lord the glory due his name. And we will worship the Lord in splendor. And we will worship the Lord. We will worship the Lord in, because he is holy. 
What do you stand for? Do you stand in awe of God? Is He your God today? If you're a Christian and you haven't been standing in awe, you've just been living your life in a ho-hum way, you've just been moving through life without contemplating God, without being in awe. You used to be, but you're not anymore for various reasons. Take care of those problems and be in awe of God's forgiveness. If you're not a Christian, but you know what you need to do, or you want to study with us about how to become a Christian, let us know that as well. If any need can be met by coming forward, let us know now as we stand and as we sing.